All right, we have a small, small group here today, but I think there's some people online too. Um, all right, I will pray and then we will start. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to get together and uh, talk about your word and study it. I pray that you would uh, bless this time and our fellowship meal later today and all the hard work that has gone into the food and is going into it presently. Uh, we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So the fellowship meals always, I feel like, take a little bite out of the attendance. <coughs> um, okay, so, um, so we are going over the context for the New Testament and this sort of historical background for some of the events we see in the New Testament. And last week we talked about two things, the Pharisees and Sadducees, those, the... Uh, Kind of the two parties that were ruling, uh, part of the Jewish elite ruling class when Jesus comes around. And then uh, we also talked about the Maccabees who reigned in the intertestamental time. Um, so this week, so we a lot of these dates we've already talked about. So we'll kind of go through a couple quickly and then we'll go through some of these later ones, which is what we're talking about. Primarily, we're going to focus a little bit on this date here, if you can't see it because you're too far back, it's 171 to 178, and that is a, a war, the sixth war between the Seleucids, Syrian, Syrian war, Syrian war, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies in Egypt, and I actually brought my map so we can talk about that. But that's going to be kind of a little bit of a key date for us we didn't talk about last time. So if we, if we scoot forwards from 1,000, where we have David, we talked about Assyria conquering the north. Uh, 605, Babylon conquers Jerusalem. Uh, no, Babylon conquers, sorry, Assyria there. And then in 586, Babylon destroys the temple, the temple, and the rest of Israel. 539 is when Persia conquers Babylon, conquers Babylon, and then 516 is when the second temple is rebuilt or rededicated. And that takes us down to 330, which is when Alexander and the Greeks conquer the Persians. So that's like gets us up to the Greek world. And we're going to kind of talk about the Greek world a little bit today because that's this section here. Um, so I brought the map to review the, uh, the Syrian wars. The, uh, the Syrian wars, we're talking about the sixth one. My map here, I don't, if you're too far away, you might not be able to see. But we have Italy here, Greece here, Africa here, Israel is here, Turkey and then Babylon and Persia are over there. So the big thing to know is when Alexander and the Greeks, right, when he conquered the world, here's Greece here, he went east and conquered everything, Turkey all the way to Babylon, Persia, and he also went down here and conquered Egypt. So everything's Greek. Um, after he dies, the uh, Greek world breaks up into four, four sections. Um, the two big ones that we're going to talk about, though, is Egypt down here and the, the Ptolemies who ruled Egypt, and then the Seleucids that ruled Syria and the east over here. 
And the Syrian war, the sixth Syrian war, is the sixth time that the Seleucids and the Ptolemies fight each other. Um, and Israel's important because Israel's in the middle of all of that. <clears throat> so the wars are important for Israel because they lie right between, if you want to get from Syria to Egypt, you've got to go through Israel. So all these conflicts uh, are important for Israel. Um, and so that's where the Sixth Syrian War comes in. <clears throat> so that is just a little bit of the map look to review that part. Um, we might bring that out later. Um, okay, so like we said last week, we talked about the uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Maccabees. Um, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the high priest and the succession of the high priest um, and how that starts and then goes down to when Jesus comes. So we're going to read a couple, uh, couple passages um, to get started. And so could I get a couple people to read? just to kind of warm the voices up and, you know, get us all woken up. Um, let's do Numbers 18, 1 to 7. <clears throat> you read that, okay? And then Leviticus 16, 29 to 34. Who can grab that? <clears throat> Ashlyn. All right, so we'll start with Numbers. And again, we're looking at the, the, um, the high priest, and uh, that's kind of where we're going to start in the Old Testament and then work our way forward. So... Uh, Numbers 18, 1 to 7. So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity connected with your priesthood. And with you bring your brothers also, the tribe of Levi, Levi the tribe of your father, that they may join you and minister to you while you and your sons are with you, are before the tent of the testimony. They shall keep guard over you and over the whole tent, but shall not come near to the vessels of the sanctuary or to the altar, lest they and you die. They shall join you and keep guard over the tent of meeting for all the service of all the tent, and no outsider shall come near you. And you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar, that there may never again be wrath on the people of Israel. And behold, I have taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord, to do the service of the tent of meeting, and you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar and that is within the veil, and you, and you shall serve. I will give your priesthood as a gift, and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. All right, <clears throat> great. Um, so this is where, that's one of the passages that sort of sets up Aaron's family um, and the priestly line that is set apart from the rest of the Levites. Okay, so you have, you have all the people in the world and then you have the Israelites that are called out from them. And then you have the tribes, and you have specifically the tribe of Levi that is supposed to uh, take care of, right, the tabernacle. Um, and out of the tribe of Levi, you then have Aaron and his line and the priests. Okay, so there's kind of, you have these concentric circles, sort of, as you get closer and closer to the place where, God visits his people, which is the Holy of Holies, <clears throat> right? Um, and one of the uh, important uh, jobs of the high priest was, the, was administering the rites uh, for the Day of Atonement, which happened once a year. So that's what we're going to look at next. So um, Leviticus 16, 29 to 34. Ashlyn, you want to read that? <clears throat> and it shall be a 
statutes you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting, and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in a year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Good. Um, so reviewing the Day of Atonement, right? That's where the priests would come in and they would sacrifice a bull for their own sins. And then they'd have two goats, right? One goat would be sacrificed for the sin of the people. And then the other goat would be you know, the priest's hand. would He'd lay his hand on it and then would go off into the wilderness. And that would be the, the scapegoat. Um, so that's the that was an important, that's Yom Kippur. That's an important day uh, in the year. And that had to be done by the high priest once a year. Um, so, all right, so that was something that Aaron had to do, and then Aaron's sons, and then the high priest going down through the line, um, and we see that, um, we, if you, you know, kind of trace the lines of the high priest, you get, uh, later on, you get Eli, um, we see Eli come into the picture, um, and he's going to be, uh, before, before David, so we're still, before David, and then you see um, uh, Zadok, uh, the priest, around the time of David and Solomon, um, as a high priest. And as we keep, you know, following down through the line, you're supposed to have, you know, the high priest and then his son, and it follows down through this line of Aaron. Um, but we have a break here at 586 when Babylon destroys the first temple and we have 70 year a 70 year break where the temple's destroyed and um, the Israelites are in captivity in exile uh, then we they come back right and the temple is dedicated 516 and we are told the first uh, the first high priest back is Joshua um, and then I believe Nehemiah right at the end end of the Old Testament uh, lists a couple other high priests um, and then we have that intertestamental inter period where we don't know who the high priest is or we have some records but it's not it's not in the Bible um, so that's kind of where that's where we're following the line of high priests and all this section you know 516 to 331 you have the Persians in control and you have a relatively consistent uh, transition from high priests and at that time the high priest is is kind of the the sole person in charge in Israel um, <clears throat> where they're going to be at least the um, there there's not a king at that point you have a foreign ruler that's that's in charge but the high priest would kind of be your your primary Jewish um, ruler right um, and so then we have this transition from the Greek same thing happens and then what happens, though, is um, in 175, so before the Sixth Syrian War, uh, we have Antiochus Epiphanes come to power. And he's obviously, we've talked about him a little bit, Antiochus Epiphanes come to power, and he is the Greek 
He's the Greek king who is in charge of Israel at that point. <clears throat> and that's when we start to see some problems with the, uh, the high priestly line. So um, basically what happens is, um, remember we have these two, the two parties forming in Israel, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're not called this uh, or they're not called that at this point. But they are still, those are kind of the two groups that are, um, that are in control. Um, and one party, the Pharisees, or the group that becomes the Pharisees, they uh, back the true high priest, or the high priest at that time. And that is, we'll put him down here, Onias Third. He's the high priest at the time. He was a, he's a legitimate high priest. He's in the line of Aaron, and he was anointed um, by a priest, and he is, he is in charge. Now you have this other faction, the faction that becomes the Sadducees, and they are pro-Hellenization. They're pro the Greek king, they're pro-Hellenization, and they are trying to gain more control and power. And they go to Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes, and they tell him, um, they say, hey, if you make our guy the high priest, we will we will push more and more of the Greek Hellenization you want, and we will also pay you more in taxes um, and revenue. So Antiochus says, that sounds great. I like that. So he makes Onias III's brother, actually, the high priest. His name is Jason. <clears throat> so Jason is still in the line of Aaron, so he's technically still in the right family, but he's not. he does not become high priest the way he's supposed to. He's in... He's put in place by a foreign king. Um, and so that's kind of, that's the first time we see that. Well, maybe not the first time, but that's an important break in the line here is when Jason becomes high priest. And then they go a step further when um, the party, the Sadducean party, they send, uh, they send yearly their taxes off to Antiochus. And a guy named Menelaus goes up there to deliver it. And he says, hey, if you make me high priest... I will increase the tax revenue we pay you even more. Um, and Antiochus, who really needs a lot of money at that point for a lot of different various reasons, uh, says, that's great, I'll do that. So he then deposes Jason and makes Menelaus high priest. And Menelaus is now uh, you know, a foreign-appointed high priest but is not in the family line of Aaron. So he is now, there's a complete break uh, from the line of, of the line of Aaron and Menelaus is completely, um, you know, he's completely pro-Seleucid and is just there to be kind of a puppet, a puppet ruler and basically do whatever the, the Greeks need him to do <clears throat> or the, the, um, the Seleucids, the Seleucid king in, in Tychus Epiphanes. Um, Onias actually he speaks out uh, about this he and and his group right the the group that becomes the Pharisees they obviously have a problem with this and Menelaus has Onias uh, killed in 171 and that's probably the main reason that the sixth Syrian war has started um, he he has Onias the third killed and Onias's party uh, goes down to Egypt and says hey let's start another war can you help us out so they, he goes down to Egypt, and the, and the Ptolemies say this is a great time to try and take back what we've lost because they used to um, have Israel. Israel used to be in their territory, and so they decide to 
uh, start this war, which is the Sixth Syrian War. Um, and so that's, that's an important kind of turning point in the kind of the history of the high, priest, the high priesthood. Um, that the Onias uh, being killed and Menelaus um, taking over happens in 171. So that's, that's a, an important date. <clears throat> the war is three years long and ends with, actually ends with Antiochus losing and on his way back to Syria is when he kind of desecrates the temple and does all the things that starts the Maccabean Revolution, which we talked about last time, right? The Maccabean Revolution lasts 167 to 142, and it's in 142 that you finally have a Maccabean king. Um, and they, it's also called the period of uh, Jewish independence. Hey, guys. Um, so so these are, that's why these dates are important. Maccabean Revolution starts right here. The revolution is here. And then we have the Hasmonean, Hasmonean dynasty starts because that's the family name for the Maccabees. So they start in 142. And from this time on, you have about four generations of Maccabees that are kings in Israel. And they're also the high priest. So the high priest, uh, often you'll have one of the Maccabees will be a king and high priest. Sometimes it'll be a brother who's a high priest. But it kind of alternates for most of this time here, 100 years between a Maccabee high priest and, or a relative or something like that. And then you have in 63, Rome. Rome conquers the, what conquers Israel and takes over. And then Rome starts to be the ruling power that then sets up their own either puppet king, which would be the Herods, or high priests. So they kind of then start getting involved. And they do the same things the Greek did. <clears throat> they appoint, they have a, an appointee to the high priesthood that's political, that's economically motivated. They'll buy and sell, auction it off, things like that. But you essentially, for, um, for the 200 years or so leading up to Jesus, you're going to have a, a fake imposter high priest. Um, and so, that, so that's, a, that's a significant deal. Um, this is 4 BC still. We're all in BC. 18 is AD when we switch. And this is the, kind of the last, the newest date to add on. And I put that on because that's when Caiaphas, Caiaphas becomes high priest. And he is high priest through, obviously, um, the end of Jesus' ministry and all that. Um, we won't look at too much here with him uh, and kind of crucifixion and things like that, but we'll maybe talk about that in subsequent weeks. But this is just helps you kind of want see the sort of the transition. 187, 161, 167 are big dates for when there's a significant break in the high priesthood. And then you go all the way down to when Caiaphas is high priest. And at that point, again, the, the temple and the high priesthood and the system that Jesus comes into in his ministry is very corrupt at this point. <clears throat> um, and one of the reasons we're talking about this today, too, is because of Dan's sermon last week when he talked about and walked through how the New Testament clearly shows Jesus was the ultimate high priest, the fulfilling the role of high priest. Um, so we might, look, we might look at a little bit of that. <clears throat> um, all right, so we're going to look at... <clears throat> 
Mm -hmm. until the coming of Christ. Yeah. When they didn't have any, and they, there was no revelation. Right. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, the intertestamental period, 400 years or so. Yeah. yeah. And they said, mm -hmm. they that knew the Lord spoke one to another <laughs> mm -hmm. and encouraged one another. And a book of remembrance who had written. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so there's that's a significant period, right? In those 400 years between when the Old Testament closes and we see, you know, the activity of the New Testament. Um, and that's probably what we're doing here, right, is to kind of fill in a little bit of that. Because if you don't read your Apocrypha or your Maccabees, then you might not, you know, know some of the history here, um, and that's where some of it comes out of. Um, but yeah, so anyways, there's that's Caiaphas. Uh, we're going to read a couple things from the New Testament to talk a little bit about the the situation with the temple and the temple system. And um, so I've got a couple of things for us to read. Could I get? Uh, I think maybe three people. We'll do John. 2 13 to 17 somebody do john 2 13 to 17 marco's raising his hand yep john 2 13 to 17 then we're going to look at matthew 21 12 to 13 let me do that one matthew 21 12 to 13 okay here and then leviticus 12 6 to 8 <clears throat> Leviticus 12, 6 to 8. Marco's got that. Uh, Leviticus 12, 6 to 8. Okay. All right. So we'll start with John 2. John 2. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that, yeah, sorry. His uh, disciples yeah. remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Great. Okay, then Matthew 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Okay. Um, all right. So those are two different um, uh, different times. Uh, Jesus goes in and cleans, cleans the temple out. And we know that, obviously, that's, those are both pretty famous stories. We know about this, this ordeal. But... Having a little bit of that context of we've got a, a imposter high priest, um, he's commenting on den of robbers, house of trade, things like that. The priesthood was a business; it was set up as an you know an economic uh, arrangement with the Jews between the Jews and whoever was ruling. Um, um, so that kind of gives a little bit of context to that. Um, and then also another thing, just to uh, maybe put a little more context around it is he mentions twice or in each one he mentions that he spoke to those who sold the pigeons or who sold the um, the doves um, and so to kind of get a little does, does anybody know why that might be important I think we uh, we'll get some of that we'll look at Leviticus 12 to see where, where what he's kind of getting at there because that's a little that's specific 
What's that? Is it a reference to the poor? <clears throat> it is, uh, I believe, yeah, a reference to the poor. Um, so let's read Leviticus, uh, Marco 12, 6 to 8. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon, or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, if you had the means, you sacrificed a lamb and a pigeon or turtle dove. If you didn't, you sacrificed two turtle doves. So that was sort of the that was the um, the offering for the poor people. <clears throat> and what would happen is you could bring your own dove or or pigeon, but if the priest deemed it unclean or had a blemish or something, you would then be forced to purchase one that was sold locally in the temple and potentially cost 10 times more of what you could have paid. Um, so they kind of, they had sort of this, they had a, um, basically a way of controlling what animals could or couldn't be used and also the supply. And um, again, it was a business and that's why he says it was a house of trade and it was a house of robbers. Um, so both those things come into play. Yeah, Dan. just want to point out, you know, in, in the second one, he specifically mentions the money changers. And, and the, you know, both in, in Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 25, God speaks to unjust weights. And so the money changers, they, they require them to use only temple money to purchase the sacrifices. And so they had to have a conversion. So they had unjust weights. Um, again, in Proverbs um, 16, honest weights and scales of the Lord's, all the weights in the bag are his work. And, and Proverbs 20.10 is really stark where it says, Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Mm-hmm. So it was really taking <coughs> a, uh, a wicked hand towards the poor. Yeah, <clears throat> right. So they controlled not only just the animals and that, but they controlled the money you had to use to purchase them. Mm-hmm. Through the money, yeah, yeah, and I believe too in the Old Testament, a lot of the condemnations, right, in the from the prophets is for um, not taking care of the poor, right? That's a that's a very common one, and then you obviously see that are seeing that with Jesus, um, and so, anyways, you 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 see that kind of come up over and over again. Um, <clears throat> okay, so. Um, so that's, that's the kind of the world that Jesus is coming into. That's why we see where we see a lot of the corruption. Um, Caiaphas is obviously the high priest at this point. So um, he is, would be in charge of this system. So you're directly, you're directly kind of um, attacking him and his, the system and the temple and his world. Um, we will, again, I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, another thing that's interesting, uh, I think, to note is that um, when Jesus comes in, we have two temple cleansings we see uh, at the start of his ministry and at the end. Um, and that, um, 
that reminds should remind us of the kind of the Old Testament laws for cleansing a house that has leprosy. Um, so I'm going to read that section um, and see if it kind of brings a couple things to light. So this is Leviticus 14, 33 to 47. It's a little bit longer, but um, the Lord further spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, when you enter the land of Canaan, <clears throat> which I'm giving you as a possession, and I put a spot of leprosy on a house in the land of your possession, then the one who owns the house shall come and tell the priest saying, Something like a spot of leprosy has become visible to me in the house. The priest shall then command that, the empty, that they empty the house before the priest goes in to look at the spot, so that everything in the house need not become unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in to look at the house. So he shall look at the spot. And if the spot on the walls of the house has greenish or reddish depressions and appears deeper than the surface... The priest shall come out of the house to the doorway and quarantine the house for seven days. Then the priest shall return on the seventh day and make an inspection. If the spot is indeed spread on the walls of the house, the priest shall order them to pull out the stones with the spot on them and throw them away at an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the house scraped all around inside. <clears throat> and they shall dump the plaster that they scrape off at an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take the other stones and replace the discarded stones, and he shall take other plaster and replaster the house. <clears throat> if, however, the spot breaks out again in the house after he has pulled out the stones and scraped the house and after it has been replastered, then the priest shall come in and make an inspection. If he sees the spot has indeed spread in the house, it is a malignant spot in the house. It is unclean. The owner shall therefore tear down the house, its stones, its timbers, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall take them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever goes into the house during the time that he has quarantined it becomes unclean until evening. Likewise, whoever lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. So I think you see there a picture of what, again, continuing on the discussion that Dan was talking about last week. Jesus is the high priest. He's coming in. He's being a righteous high priest. He's fall. He's doing what the priest should do. You, you know, you see him doing all the, all the things you see. But this, I think, cleansing the house, coming to the house, the temple, twice, and saying, you know, not one stone will be left on another, um, because twice he comes in and has to clean out what he sees. It's still leprous. It's not just leprous on the outside, right? It's not just superficial. It's not a spot that you can, you know, he comes back and it's gone, but it's, it's leprous to the stones, right, to the foundation, the stones, the timbers. And, um, and so then I think you see, um, then obviously there's some things in the New Testament then, uh, that are going to predict the coming destruction of 70 AD when every stone, everything is, you know, is wiped out and the whole temple is destroyed and you have kind of that final, final destruction um, so I think that is something that is helpful to kind of see as you, as you read, as we read through some more of the kind of the, the context for the New Testament. Um, Dan, anything to add to that piece as we? Um, I, no, I just, I think it's important to, to make those connections because that helps you understand, um, even after that fact, God gives a whole generation for the people of Israel to, uh, well, one other thing here too is that in the uh, once you have established the 
um, false high priest, right? Then there's not an actual high priest to go and, and make atonement for the sins. So essentially, you've got a hundred and what is that? Forty years of of uh, sins piling up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there, there, Israel becomes more and more corrupt and, and stuck in an unrepentant state. Um, which then impacts their ability to, to do their priestly call to the world, um, and so when, when you know it's, it, it, it puts the, both the, the church, the Israel at the time, and the world at risk. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that's important to recognize. And, and if if you study and you look through the Gospels carefully, you'll see that um, you will see that Jesus is at every appointment that you're supposed to be at the temple except for one, right? We don't see anywhere where he is at the temple at the Day of Atonement. Um, at this point, we have to say, okay, it's a, it's a clear absence. Why would that be? Well, um, it would seem that the most reasonable explanation for that is the fact that um, you have a false high priest who can't actually make atonement for sins. Mm -hmm. And so he's not there for that. Um, again, that, that is, we're, we're drawing conclusions but um, I'd say it's fairly sound. Yeah, yeah, and then obviously you see, you see, so you have, we'll say, yeah, a couple hundred years where there's no Day of Atonement, and then we would look at the Christ death on the cross, right, and say, this is where the high priest, you know, this is what he came in to do, and so you finally have this Day of Atonement um, uh, when Christ dies on the cross. So he wouldn't. He wasn't the appointed high priest, um, but and you know when we talked about kind of Pharisees and Sadducees and the groups, there's there's characteristics that def kind of define these groups, but there's uh, it's also a spectrum, right, of who's faithful, not faithful, and what they believe, and there's a lot kind of tied up. So I think you can have you can have a kind of a wicked temple system, but that doesn't mean that everybody coming there. Is is abusing it, or everybody who works there is abusing it and corrupt. So I think you do have probably some outliers. I don't think, I don't think in general, the 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 class that was running the temple system that was ruled by the high priest. I think in general they're going to be corrupt. <clears throat> that's why we see what Jesus does. But I do, yeah, I don't think there's a problem that there's some outliers, and that's there probably been, what. There must yeah. have been more. I mean, because because they believe. They yeah. Believe Right. <coughs> right. And, and the middle of Acts tells us that <clears throat> that there were actually many priests being converted mm -hmm. um, in in that first in those first works in uh, in uh, uh, the, the Acts of the Apostles. So mm -hmm. it specifically God specifically calls that out. There's a redemption there um, as well. And you got to remember. So the the Sadducees, you know, they don't believe. In the resurrection, they don't believe that Yahweh is the living God and the God of the living, and so for them, um, it is an economic uh, situation, and they hold just enough um, ethics detached from from the heart 
to uh, have the appearance of some kind of uh, faithfulness, but it's just ethics, not mm-hmm. actually a heart with God on the throne. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> the uh, I think we're out of time, so we'll wrap up uh, next week. I think what we'll talk about is in thirty-seven, uh, Herod becomes king, and we will pick up kind of around there and talk about the Herods and uh, in that situation leading up to Jesus's birth in four BC. Um, all right. That's what we'll talk about. So anyways, um, let's pray, and then we will get on with it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for sending your Son to um, be a propitiation for our sins and to be the ultimate high priest and the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, Thank you for uh, your work and your word. I pray you bless Dan's preaching later today and the rest of our Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen.